Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, September 16th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts. We have a pair of aces in the studio today, here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. For this week's economic news, initial unemployment claims for the week declined, reflecting the continued tight labor market. Retail sales increased unexpectedly in August after a decline in July, showing some resilience in spite of higher prices. A potential strike in the railroad industry was averted, and the major news for the week was the Consumer Price Index report on Tuesday, showing continued signs of persistent inflation at 8.3% year-over-year, and in some of the components, inflation actually increased. The reaction was negative, and the stock market fell 3-4% to in anticipation that the Federal Reserve will continue and even speed up their monetary policy of raising interest rates next week at their September meeting. So George, when we take all of this information into consideration, what do we think it means for the economy and investors? Well, Brian, I think it was a week of bad news uh, translated into bad news, but there's also unfortunately some good news that translated into bad news. So let me walk you through kind of what I saw. I mean, I think obviously you talked about it. Um, The story of the week, or at least the economic data point of the week seemed to be that uh, consumer price report that came out midweek. Uh, didn't fall as much as expected. It did come down a little bit from the prior print, but still very elevated. Uh, some of the components were also jarringly high and frustratingly um, uh, elevated and accelerating. So housing numbers were still up some 6% year over year. Food prices up over 13% year over year. Electricity up 15% year over year. Gee, I have to keep going here, I guess. One more. Gasoline prices. While gasoline prices have come down, um, they're still up 26% year over year. So really kind of a, a toxic stew of inflationary readings, uh, really hitting the consumer pretty hard, uh, putting a dent probably in the low end of the uh, consumer segment too, which is really unfortunate for sure. Um, so again, that's that's definitely, I think, the, the, the catalyst for some of the volatility this week. Uh, we also actually had, fortunately, had some good news that was, was interpreted as bad news though. Um, you know, actually the airline sector talked about actually more people coming through the turnstiles that, uh, that's actually a good sign for the economy, but it was kind of viewed as an inflationary uh, impulse. Uh, retail sales, probably not um, not too bad. I mean, there's some kind of mixed kind of readings with that number, but people thought that was generally inflationary too, in the sense that the consumer is still spending, feeling pretty good about things. Uh, sentiment within the consumer line item has also been recognized as a positive. Um, and oddly enough, you know, you, you mentioned jobless claims that uh, didn't rise as much. So that's actually a pretty good read through in terms of the employment situation. But again, some people thought that it might be more indicative of a uh, future wage inflation. Uh, and then lastly, you know, kind of good news, bad news, there's a, a large corporate that uh, that reported that pre-announced earnings uh, that talked about how 
volumes and activity kind of really come some some very economically sensitive um, information was uh, was was revealed that the overall pace of the economy might be slowing. Um, and that's kind of been kind of something that's kind of ripping through the market today, where you've seen kind of that read through for major retailers or I'm sorry, major retailers and other companies that are experiencing probably some softened demand. So, um, you know, definitely, unfortunately, a lot of uh, a lot of cross currents on the good news, maybe even due to good news, though, just to kind of uh, put a little bit of a, a shinier print on this, um, this, this, this update. You know, the, the producer price index actually rose as well, still very high, but didn't come in as much as expected. And you also acknowledge that the rail strike was avoided, which I think could have been a real disaster at a really tough time. So, you know, there are a lot of puts and takes. It seems like the um, the drumbeat for the recession is getting a bit louder. Uh, markets are responding in, in kind. And again, we have a Fed, week, a Fed meeting next week, and the Fed has probably dealt a really tough hand here. Um, they've been dealing with a lot of um, a lot of volatility in the numbers, but also high inflation. And there's some been there's some been some call some being I'm sorry. There have been some people that have been calling for the Fed to back off a little bit. Um, I've, saw, I've seen a few people now that suggest the Fed should just maybe slow down the, um, the tightening cycle, maybe take a break, kind of see where the economy is. Uh, there's other people that are saying, let's go to the max, if you will, and maybe raise rates 100 basis points or one percentage point, which would be kind of a shock and awe kind of, uh, kind of moment. So, Rajiv, with that backdrop, um, what do you think the Fed is thinking about right now? What do you think we're going to see from the next week? And how do we process all these, uh, these cross currents? Thank you, George. And uh, you're absolutely right. Those CPI numbers this week, uh, the fixed income markets, at least, they're pointing towards an even larger rate increase than we've been used to in the cycle. I mean, 75 basis points rate hike, uh, that was back on the table as soon as that CPI number came out uh, that was uh, hotter than expected. And now there are talks about 100 basis point rate hike because inflation is still not coming under control. I mean, so far, the Fed has raised rates uh, 225 basis points since March, but inflation continues to run hot. And uh, at a fund, Fed funds rate of 2.5%, uh, the effects of Fed tightening have still not been felt when it comes to inflation. And this is where the argument comes in, as you mentioned, George, that uh, where do we go from here? I mean, do we do 100 basis points? Do we, do we, does the Fed become aggressive right now and try to control inflation? Uh, the argument really is, is that the Fed funds rate uh, needs to be around 4%. And so in a month where expectations were that the price pressures would cool down, the CPI print says a lot about where we are with inflation. And that, and that is exactly why 100, 100 base point uh, rate hike is back on the table. 100 base point move higher in rates by the Fed would probably deliver a stronger punch than 75 basis points. It would be a bold decision. It'll be something uh, that gets us closer to a, a Fed funds rate that's in neutral territory. But if you look at the treasury market, uh, the curve continues to flatten. Traders are likely to continue selling on the rumor that the Fed will, will, will raise rates uh, to 4.5% by March, 2023 until further notice. And that's, that's where the dot plot estimates and the Fed swap expects, they all seem to, uh, they, they all seem to peak at that point. Uh, we have an FOMC meeting uh, this coming Wednesday. We've got Fed speakers in a blackout period. So speculation is building on exactly what's going to happen. Will it be 75 basis points? Will it be 100 basis points? Consensus right now is 75 basis point rate hike. But I really do feel that the 100 basis point is not off the table. If you look at the two-year uh, U.S. Treasury note yield, it's risen more than uh, 110 basis points, 1.1% in the past six weeks. It's going only one way, and it's going straight up. So 
there's a lot of market expectations right now that the Fed's going to continue raising rates. Um, they're going to be aggressive. What I find interesting in these markets is, I, is that the markets still believe that eventually there'll be Fed rate cuts uh, in 2023. If you look at the uh, Fed funds futures uh, chart, you see that the market is expecting that there'll be a 50 basis point rate cut in 2023. And Fed officials have not said anything about a Fed uh, cut right now, any, a rate cut right now. So in essence, the bond market is fighting the Fed, and we all know how that ends up. You never fight the Fed. A Fed that wants to fight inflation and maintain credibility is clearly going to do whatever it takes to, to control inflation and continue raising rates in, in order to do that. Bond yields are higher across the board. The two years approaching 4%. The curve has inverted. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot, but the curve is inverted. We're on 45 basis points inversion right now on the twos tens curve. So why take the risk of going further out on the curve when you're getting almost 4% in the two-year? So we uh, we continue to maintain our stance of up in quality trades and shorter duration tactical plays. Thank you. So I think the thing to really kind of zero on is what's really what's really the inflation story, right? Because I think to some extent, to some extent, it almost feels a little bit like the Fed is behind that inflation curve too, where, and not so much the fact that they haven't raised rates aggressively. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder if there's an argument we could make, Rajiv, that suggests that the CPI report was a lagging indicator, right? So some of those numbers came out through, through August, and um, you know, not to say that things have changed dramatically in the last two weeks, but I'm kind of wondering if things are starting to moderate. And so there maybe if there's things we could look towards where inflation is starting to slow down a little bit. You know, certainly these talk about global well, recession that that'll you know kind of eat away demand a little bit, and that'll maybe take some of these pressures off. Um, supply chain pressures are easing at the margin. You know, frankly, you know, the idea of that higher prices is the cure for higher prices is, is starting to kind of play out a little bit with energy, gasoline, things like that coming down. Again, they're still really high, um, but I'm kind of wondering if we're if you could make the argument that sometime maybe in the next three months. So if the Fed does raise rates aggressively next week, um, but then if we fast forward two or three months from now, as I said. You know, maybe inflation starts to ease off a little bit, and then the Fed might have overdone it, right? So I think we, I think the Fed has to be pretty careful here. Is there a case that we can make that you might start to see some of the inflationary pressures start to back off in the next two to three months? That's a really short-term view, but I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. That's no, a very good point, George. I, I really think that uh, there is a case to be made. I mean, we saw when we saw the consensus that inflation, uh, the CPI print was going to be lower. It had everything to do with where gasoline prices were going. Uh, we had seen a continual decline of gasoline prices, and and I think the estimate the estimation was that uh, that was going to impact the CPI numbers so strongly that we would see a minus 0.1 percent uh, print month over month on CPI. That didn't happen, and I think that has everything to do with food prices continue to be elevated, uh, government spending continues to be elevated. So we need to see some other factors besides gasoline that's going to um, impact CPI numbers. Uh, we could see a cooling down. Uh, I do think that the Fed is doing what they have to do, uh, but we could see that early next year. Uh, and I think the market will react accordingly. I think what's going to be the pivotal point is just by getting a, a strong CPI print or something that seems like inflation is cooling off. I don't see how that uh, changes the Fed's resolve about trying to get to that 2% target rate on inflation. So the Fed's going to continue to do what it has to do to get there. If the Fed decides that, okay, 2% is uh, is uh, maybe too low, let's go 4%, uh, I think the Fed loses some credibility at that point. So 
you're going to you're going to see a lot of movement in the inflation numbers to get us down to uh, to a level where we can actually believe that uh, all these uh, monetary policy moves are, are working. You know, Rajiv, on the same line of thinking, the Fed has said all the way back from July many, many times about data dependency, that they're going to go month to month, week to week, so to speak. What are your thoughts on their ability to navigate that successfully? Uh, I think that uh, they, you're absolutely right, Brian. They point to data dependent uh, uh, monetary policy. And I think that uh, is something that they have to do. Uh, it's interesting that they're not giving it forward guidance anymore. Um, so we are at the whim of every single data point that comes out. So when we look at unemployment numbers, that's very important for us. Uh, as you know, uh, if we see an uptick in unemployment, I think the market perceives that, oh, the Fed's going to cool down now. They're not going to do anything. If you see a CPI print like we saw this week, you're like, the Fed is going to continue doing what they have to do. So I think it causes more volatility in the market, but at least we could point to concrete data. I mean, we are all, we're all um, uh, data-driven people anyway, and I think that uh, the Fed is that way as well. They continue to look at data. They continue to uh, make that their, their, uh, their point. Uh, they continue to say uh, that we have a dual mandate, but really, if you look at the market, even though it's a dual mandate uh, for the for the Fed, you know that they're focused completely on inflation. So George, what do you think this means in terms of portfolio construction then, as we think about what's happening in the stock and bond markets relative to other oppor opportunities in, in the investing world? Well, Brian, I think in the short term, and, and Steve's on, on holiday, so I'm sure he'd be uh, quick to point out the fact that volatility has started finally rear its head a little bit. Uh, we've been talking for quite some time that volatility has been somewhat muted in the face of this, um, this economic maelstrom that we've been experiencing for the past couple of months. And volatility is measured by this thing called the VIX index. Um, and the ticker is VIX, if you want to look it up, is, is trading right now around 28, which suggests that you know, there's, some, there's some unease now that's starting to get priced in the market. And typically, you know, 6, 12 months hence or so, once you start to see these readings pop up, um, equity markets are generally, you know, positive that it's not a straight line but but the history is pretty decent and um again it's it's always the time to probably lean into something when things feel the worst so we'd probably want to see a little bit more volatility frankly before getting really aggressive on equities again but i do think that's one thing that you can kind of point to in the near term that maybe volatility's gotten a little bit elevated longer term brian i think that there's a case we've been trying to make that in this environment where both unfortunately stocks and bonds have been under pressure it's important to look at other things and maybe new tools uh, being used in your portfolio. So real assets have been some um, provided some refuge there. Um, some asset return vehicles have also been um, somewhat additive. Unfortunately, it's been kind of a, a pretty broad sell-off um, that's really hit most risk assets. So we're trying to find things that that are somewhat uh, uncorrelated as much as possible. Uh, those things are hard to find, but there have been pockets of opportunities um, that are that are available to certain clients that might be of interest. Uh, with inside the realm of new tools, and and those have provided some some benefit of diversification. But I'll say the one big thing that that kind of got my attention this week to um, to close out the podcast maybe deserves a bit of mention is the fact that there really still are a lot of good things happening in the world today. I was actually down in um, the southern part of Ohio this this week and talking to a, a large community foundation. They've actually communicated that there's just a record level of contributions coming to their fund, which really was I think a, a testament to the uh, record level, I guess, the overall feeling of good that actually takes place in the world. And I think you can kind of back that up further by news of, of a company called Patagonia, um, which, which my family seems, seems to support with, with buying a lot of t-shirts from them. 
But uh, all joking aside, it's just remarkable to see what they're doing with their company and kind of having a really philanthropic bent um, kind of expressed in a really meaningful way. So despite the fact that we have a, a lot of negative headlines, a lot of economic uncertainty right now, uh, there's still a lot of good that's being done in the world. And I think that needs to get uh, gets more acknowledgement. So with that, um, we'll wrap up the call and thanks everybody for listening. Have a great week and we'll talk soon. George and Rajiv, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including Key Private Bank, Key Bank Institutional Advisors, Key Private Client, and Key Investment Services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KIFS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. Key Bank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by Key Corp 2022.